If you lie to me, I hurt you. Hello, my name is Will and you are listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world celebrating the innovative, imaginative and ingenious ways helicopters explode in film. Now, in May 2011, President Barack Obama announced to the world that American special forces had killed Osama bin Laden. The announcement marked the end of a 10-year manhunt. During that time, thousands of people died in further attacks inspired or orchestrated by al-Qaeda, and thousands more after America and her allies invaded Afghanistan and then Iraq. That history is the subject of the film we're looking at on this show, the 2012 Catherine Bigelow movie Zero Dark Thirty, a film that received critical plaudits, but also criticism for what some said was its pro-torture stance. To help me unpick that controversy, I'm joined by a man who knows all about torture, He's been held for months at a CIA black site where he's been forced to listen to every single episode of the Exploding Helicopter podcast. My guest today is Ben Dads from Top Film Tip. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well, Will. How are you? Are you uh, are you a broken man now? Are you ready to talk? I am. I've, I've got nothing left. I've been waterboarded 180 times and I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Well, I only want to hear about information on that Zero Dark Thirty, so I hope you're ready to give it all up for me. Thanks, Will. And uh, you run Top Film Tip, which is an invaluable service for film fans in the UK. So do you want to take a moment to explain what it is that you do? Sure. So um, Top Film Tip is um, an account on Twitter. And every day, morning and evening, I send out tips for the best films on UK TV. A lot of people outside of the UK like to, to follow to get ideas for new films to watch. It'll be a snappy little synopsis and it's only for the films worth watching. So for example, uh, Zero Dark Thirty's tip would be obsessive, morally malleable CIA investigator grinds through captives and colleagues alike on quest to kill Osama Bin Laden. Zero Dark Thirty. Mm. Now, I kind of have to take issue with you because you, you said there that uh, you only tip out the films that are worth watching. Now, I saw some recent tips that uh, I think uh, are contrary to that. So uh, you were you were tipping out Crocodile Dundee 2 recently and Ghostbusters 2. They have their place, Will. And um, <laughs> as, a, as a man, as I understand it, you have 100 percent completion on Steven Seagal films. <laughs> You're not really one to judge. Oh, come on now. I mean, you also tipped out that god-awful uh, Russell Crowe version of Robin Hood as well. No one's going to thank you for making them watch that. Ridley Scott diehards will. <laughs> Is that your defence of it? Well, the, the, way I like, the way I look at films, I know we want to keep it nice and short, uh, but the, the way I think about films is either are they doing the thing they set out to do? I'm not, I'm not interested uh, in people complaining that action films don't have a fantastic dialogue in the same way. You probably wouldn't be interested if people complained about period dramas having awful explosions. OK, well, I think it's time for us to start our enhanced interrogation of Zero Dark Thirty. So let's see if a few fragments of dialogue can suggest an outline of the plot. Can I be honest with you? I am bad news. I'm not your friend. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to break you. Any questions? Maya, this is Joseph Bradley, our station chief. Nice to meet you. You too, sir. You don't think she's a little young for the hard stuff? Washington says she's a killer. I want to make something clear. We're spending billions of dollars. We're still no closer to defeating our enemy. 
20 detainees recognize that photo. No birth certificate, no cell phone. You guys are ghosts. Zero Dark Thirty was released in 2012. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow and written by her frequent collaborator Mark Boll. The film begins with audio from phone calls made by people trapped in the World Trade Center towers during the attack of September 11th. We then move to an American prison in Afghanistan where a detainee is being questioned. We're introduced to Maya, a newly recruited CIA agent who we follow through the story. Over the course of the next two and a half hours, we follow the painstaking 10-year search for bin Laden. This eventually leads to the discovery of a compound in Pakistan where he's believed to be hiding. And the film concludes with the Delta Force mission to kill or capture OBL. Jessica Chastain takes the role of Maya and among the supporting cast are Jason Clarke, Mark Strong, James Gandolfini and Joel Edgerton. On its release, the film was very well received by critics and it appeared in many best of year lists. It also received Oscar recognition as it was nominated for Best Picture and Screenplay. Interestingly, audiences don't seem to rate the film as highly as critics. Uh, on IMDb, the film has a 7.4 rating and an 80% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, they're not low scores by any stretch of the imagination, but they do seem to there do, does seem to be a bit of divergence with the uh, critical rating for this film. Uh, it should also be noted that the film generated a lot of controversy on its release. The film and Catherine Bigelow were accused of justifying torture, and we'll take a look at that question later. But uh, enough of other people's opinions. Ben, what did you make of Zero Dark Thirty? As you say, we'll talk about the uh, the controversies later, but as a film, I think it was expertly done. It's a two and a half hour film about a really hard, unglamorous grind to kill or kill Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> I don't think there was much ambiguity towards the end of what they were going to do. But it doesn't feel like a two and a half hour film about people arguing in uh, in office rooms. It really skips along. It's an unusual sort of pace. There's... um. There are big action sequences, but they don't feel bombastic. It's got a great supporting cast. Um, it has a, a very deep moral ambiguity going all the way through. And there's a, there's a I seem to remember seeing this uh, on release at the cinema and coming away thinking, you know, it was a bit dry and I felt a bit bored in a second. And when I watched it recently for this podcast, I actually felt it was a very compelling film and it certainly didn't feel like it was two and a half hours long. Well, you make an interesting point there at the end, which is I think I had a similar take to yourself on a first viewing because I saw this in the cinema when it first came out. And I have to admit to being a rather underwhelmed by it. I certainly could appreciate the, the qualities of the filmmaking, but I did sort of wonder what you know the critics uh, had seen in it because I was going in uh, really expecting to be uh, sort of knocked out by this movie. But in rewatching it for uh, this particular podcast, actually it has gone up a bit in my estimation. And I recognise many of the qualities that you were talking about there. It is it is a long film, but it is very tense and it's very gripping. And you sort of look at your watch and you think, oh, blimey, we're an hour and a half in and you haven't noticed that time. And I think that that is a tribute to how Catherine Bigelow and, and Mark Boll present the action here because or present the story. Because you know the ending of this particular tale. You know that Osama bin Laden uh, dies at the end of this. And what you do get is, as I say, is a very tense, gripping film. Um, it's one that uh, focuses on on the process of the of the hunt and yeah as you say for a film that does feature a lot of people talking in offices you know you you're never less than thoroughly engaged with this film and I think what they do is that they put Jessica Chastain's character at the at the heart of this film and, and it's really sort of investing with her that gets you through 
this movie and i think they do that by kind of using that sort of maverick cop template structure here in the story so she's very much fighting a sort of one woman battle to follow particular leads and i think that one person against the system story story structure is is a way that keeps you invested in this film but you know having said that uh, i do have some slight reservations this is potentially what I picked up on on my first viewing was that this is a a hard film to sort of emotionally invest in and whilst I enjoyed re-watching it for this podcast I probably you know this is not a film that I would feel necessarily I need to come back to again anytime soon. Yeah I'd I'd agree I I think perhaps it's the point of the film is it's not about charismatic spies on secret missions and a big adventure it is as you say, it's, it's focusing kind of unusually for a feature film on the process behind the scenes, you know, like forensic audits. The minutiae um, of, uh, of, of the spy world, really, isn't it? Yeah, and trying to put the little pieces of information together and, find, and, and finding pieces of information they had 10 years ago that were never acknowledged that now make something else make sense. Um, but also, I, I guess we'll get onto the torture thing later, but some of the more interesting parts is how they, how they turn unwilling interrogatees into witnesses and there's a particularly interesting point where they they have a guy who they've they've dealt with in the past and he's been in isolation and he's and they basically tell him that they've that he's already given them information that they've used give him some food say thanks and as he accepts the food subconsciously he they've convinced him that he did give them this information so now he may as well give them other information and it's a, it's a very uh, you see the subtlety and the way they can turn and interrogate people and, and i found that kind of more interesting than the rather unpleasant other side of their work now i've watched this film a couple of times and much of the film i think seems to be ambivalent about the events that it is depicting so as we've mentioned in the introduction here there are uh, scenes of torture that was controversial um, in terms of the film when it was released and certainly has been controversial in terms of uh, revelations that have come out um, about you know how america uh, conducted its campaign in afghanistan and uh, and, and then later um, in Iraq. And this film doesn't seem to be, um, doesn't doesn't want to be a, a polemic either way, I don't think. But for me, even choosing to be ambivalent is an active choice. It's a political choice to be ambivalent. And having watched this this film a few times, I still don't know what, what Bigelow and Mark Boll are really trying to say with this movie. And I don't know if, if you can help me out with that, Ben. I've read, I think she said that she was just trying to, to show what they did without making a judgment about whether or not it was good or bad. But the fact is, that's not really what they do. What they do is they show the, uh, what is, what is called enhanced interrogation, but is unquestionably torture. And if it was happening to you, you would think you were being tortured. And they show it leading to useful results. When I think in reality, you know, I wouldn't want to put a number on it, but if it was, if it's more than 90% of these kind of enhanced interrogations leading to absolutely nothing or entirely made up information, I wouldn't be remotely surprised. Um, and I think reading around the subject, that seems to be the, um, the general consensus as well. When you have someone who's been waterboarded 180 times and made to feel like they were drowning to death, they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. If the film had showed um, scenes of that, that kind of torture, leading to misinformation and false information and useless information alongside the useful information they got, then I could kind of agree with them that they were trying to just say, 
you know, if we if we told you the story without showing any kind of scenes of torture, that would be dishonest, which it would be. But the fact is, by showing it only leading to useful information, even if it's a long grind, it's it also doesn't really ring true for me. Yes, and I think you've hit on uh, something that uh, I, I agree with. I think they are trying to be sort of neutral here, to be balanced, because there are moments in the in the film where they show torture doesn't work. So at the at the very beginning of the film that you see this interrogation of uh, of somebody that they've they've captured and he just ends up babbling different days of you know they're trying to track down a particular you know when a particular attack will have and this this uh, man just ends up babbling different days of the week because he's so disorientated by what is being done by him that he he is just you know hoping presumably to say anything that will get them to stop so you you know at, at that moment you sort of see that actually well you know th- how useful is this particular tactic but as you say in later scenes there that there are information is got from people who we see being tortured or have been tortured previously and so make the decision actually you know what i don't want to be tortured again and so i'm they're just they then just reveal anything that their captors want to know and i think that when you balance those things up it does really provide an endorsement for the effectiveness of torture and that doesn't really sit well with me I, I i agree with you i think essentially bigelow and bowl were aiming for a kind of journalism here but you know if they were aspiring to be neutral here i don't think they succeed well I, you know a, a two hours and 36 minute runtime i'm sure they could have found three minutes to squeeze a scene of, another scene of torture in there where they got misinformation or uh, unfruitful information as well well, one thing I find very interesting about this film is the fact that actually the script went into production before Osama bin Laden had actually been killed. And actually, whilst this film was in, I believe, pre-production, the news came through of his uh, of his uh, death. So Bigelow and Bol had to uh, rework the script to accommodate that new development. Uh, but that kind of makes me wonder how this film would have played if he hadn't have been killed before this film went into production and it makes me wonder how this film would have been perceived without his death at the end because i think if you saw these same events but there was no osama bin laden was still out there somewhere i i wonder if that would throw the perception of of you know of some of the torture and some of the efforts that had gone into to finding him into a completely different light yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. I, I, uh, I remember you mentioning that, and it did occur to me that it would seem like a film with a beginning and a middle and no end. And it, it seems strange. I don't know where they would have um, they would have gone, but you would have ended up with uh, scenes of, of obsessive investigation, lots of enhanced interrogation, stroke torture, to no avail. And perhaps in the in the opinions of people who are critical of this film, it would have actually ended up sending a more accurate message. Well, I think if there had been no resolution to this story, if, you know, it had been filmed and completed before uh, Osama bin Laden's death, then I think it would have been seen by critics of the way in which, you know, America conducted its detainee program as, you know, as fuel to their fire for America to act in a way, you know, in accordance with, um, you know, international norms about, you know, people's detentions. And, uh, you know, I, I do wonder why did they decide to tackle this particular topic if he hadn't have been killed? It, it, I can only see that they would want to take it on to try and send 
some say some sort of message about uh, you know America's conduct post 9/11. It's a piece of storytelling. I don't know how it could hold together. There would be no. I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a, there's a big cathartic release at the end of this film. It is, it's very potent and powerful, and it, it really builds and builds and builds in the tension and there's a huge uh, payoff towards the end and i can't see where they could have gone in that third act had they not done that perhaps will they they had some inside knowledge that we don't know about <laughs> well i don't think that that's necessarily the case because i think there is a, a quote in in interviews of uh, of catherine bigelow sort of talking about how they had to rework the film in in the light of that particular news and her saying to uh, mark Boll that uh, at least we've got our third act now so the issues that you were talking about there seem to they seem to have been aware of them but uh, obviously it hadn't stopped them going ahead with this project so you know still very strange uh, nevertheless now there's quite a lot of well-known actors in this film but due to the episodic nature of the film they mostly come and go so it's left to jessica chastain uh, to carry this film i found her a very compelling character in this in this film but also a bit of a mystery what did you think of her performance she was fantastic she she whilst you wouldn't really describe her as um, charismatic she had a lot of presence and a lot of gravitas around her and, and you get the impression that she um comes uh, almost from nowhere all the way through and as you say uh, said earlier you know fighting the system she she comes in in the first um in the first couple of scenes within a few minutes there's one of these torture scenes and she's kind of repulsed by it but is almost immediately brought in and complicit with the waterboarding. I think she passes the jug of water, mm. so she doesn't do it, but she's involved. And then it jumps a few years into the future where she's much more in charge. And later on still, she's like in a room with a great big chap and she just taps him on the shoulder every time she wants him to punch the guy she's interrogating. <laughs> so um, I wish I had one of those. <laughs> she, so she, you know, she, so there's a, there's certainly a, an arc of her sort of moral ambiguity which is interesting but what you're really left with over the the course of the film is two things for me is one that is the personal cost to her she has basically no social life no relationships her one the one person you describe as a friend is um is killed in um, a suicide bombing i don't did you see the black cat walk across the path of that car i thought i don't know if that was a little Ooh, on I the missed, nose but i quite missed liked that. it as the car is um they coming up the driveway and they put away the normal kind of um checks at, and balances yeah. to let this car in because the the her the character of Jessica Chastain's friend she's so eager to speak to this this witness and he's coming forward with information so she doesn't have to do any torturing but just as the car's driving up a black cat runs right in front of it very uh, ominous um so there's the two sizes there's, there's the personal cost to her you kind of and then and then you've got the dedication that her hard work and you kind of left feeling you know is she an Ahab character or is she a Sherlock Holmes character is she is she the great detective or is she just so obsessed with getting her whale that she'll do it at any cost and and there's no clear answer to that and i think that's part that's part of the appeal mm. of of the film and the character and as you say she's right at the heart of this the whole the whole operation the whole 10 years and i think the impression or certainly that i got given i think there's a line in the film later on where she says uh, she's being interviewed by uh, maybe james gandolfini one of the very mm. senior cia guys and he's like what did you do before this nothing this is all i've done and her whole cia career was only from the very beginning recruited out of college was pursuing osama bin laden and you know i wonder if it's that particular aspect that leads to that moment at the end of the film where we see her sitting in the back of a plane um, osama bin laden's dead this operation is 
at an end and we see her break down and I read that particular moment as as almost she could be reflecting on you know the death of her friend and the the other people that have uh, died along the way of this mission but also the fact that the governing idea of her life has now completely disappeared and as you were saying the film establishes the fact that she doesn't really have anything else in her life has not done anything else and now here she is without a purpose anymore i'd agree um and someone actually commented to me that it reminded them of the princess bride <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not i'm not i'm not too uh, too hot on the princess bride but i believe it's um who's the chap from homeland with the great beard in indigo oh, montoyo uh... Uh, Manny Panikin or something. It's yeah, something like that. that's the chap. I think he's got a line there at the end of the film. Uh, I've, I've been in the revenge business for so long. Now it's over. I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Well, I was really intrigued by what you were saying about Holmes versus Ahab in terms of uh, Jessica Chastain's character. And uh, you were sort of suggesting that it doesn't really resolve that particular aspect. I mean, I... I, I, I don't know, I read it maybe slightly differently. I wonder if she sort of starts off as Holmes, but then ends up more as Ahab, because there's a line in this film towards the end where Jessica Chastain says that she believes that she's been spared so that she can get Osama bin Laden. And, you know, that could have come straight out of the uh, of the mouth of uh, Captain Ahab. And there's a incredible scene. It's it's possibly i think uh, chastain's finest moment of acting in the film where she loses her temper with the cia station chief in in pakistan and i mean i i can't think of a more real moment of anger in a film she really has that sort of you know when you lose your temper and you just feel that surge of adrenaline through your body uh, i mean she as i say it's the it's a incredibly convincing moment in the film and i think she's gone full ahab by the uh, end of this movie there's a scene towards the end of the film where she just meets the uh, the delta force uh, also known as the canaries and they get the order to go and she goes out and and you see her looking at these guys and they're just kind of like they're just there sitting around playing a bit of basketball and whatever. And she looks at them and knows, and you see on her face that these people could die that night. These people she's talking to, that she's just effectively relayed the order for them to go. And and she seems to be okay with it. Yeah. And I think that, as you say, is the arc that she's on as a character in, in this movie, that she starts off as someone who's a bit of a sort of bit nervous, a bit of a rookie, but by the end of it, she is thoroughly battle-hardened. But uh, we've been talking about quite a few uh, heavyweight topics here, so I, I thought we might take a little bit of, little bit of a detour and, and lighten up things up here a bit, because one of the things I, I did notice in this movie is that there are quite a few wigs on display, and uh, Jessica Chastain gets to wear a, a black bob uh, when she's visiting a couple of cia black sites i'm not really it's never really clear why she has to wear that black wig i i, I don't really know but uh you know i don't think we need to, uh, to to sort of discuss that particular aspect here but uh james gandolfini is also wearing a very unconvincing weave in this film and we also have mark strong here who is a, a proper baldy in real life wearing a wig now of the three i would say mark strong gets away with it best uh because i think his hair changes from film to film so you don't have anything you don't have a set perception of him in your mind but yeah i wondered what you thought ben of the uh, of the wigs on display in this movie i'm gonna be absolutely honest with you will until you mentioned this uh, a few days ago 
I, I, it didn't even occur to me, and I realised <laughs> I, I have a enormous blind spot for wigs in film, and I just, I know Gandolfini is bald. He's been bald since The Sopranos, and I was like, oh, it's James Gandolfini. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's sad. He, he passed away recently. This is a great... Oh, I forgot he was in this film. Fantastic. It didn't even occur to me he was wearing a wig. And I know Mark Strong had hair, but I just kind of thought, yeah, maybe he just grew his hair for this one. <laughs> it didn't even It didn't even register. And ever since, uh, all uh, all I can see is, uh, is people wearing wigs in film, uh, even if perhaps they're not. So thanks for that, Will. You must have watched your fair share of uh, Nicolas Cage movies over the years, Ben. I mean, you, you come on, you must, you know, you must sort of see these actors and you think, oh, look, their hairs, their hairlines bobbing backwards and forwards like the tide. You know, there must be something going on with it. I think I'm just too trusting. I, I you know, I could watch a John Travolta film and think, oh, he's he's held that quite well. <laughs> <laughs> How can you watch a John Travolta film and think he's held his hair quite well? <laughs> I mean, he's, getting, he's approaching Steven Seagal levels of unrealistic hairlines. Well, um, that's the thing about a blind spot, Will, is you never know you got one till someone points it out. Well, I think we've danced around this topic long enough, so I think it's time to get down to cases and talk about the exploding helicopter action. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So let's uh, keep listening and we'll be right back. He brings the popcorn. She brings the roses. Hmm. <sighs> Subject Cinema, a tasty new film topic each week with a side order of film reviews. Yum. T.C. Kirkham. But I'm Jim. Kim Brown. What? Over half a million listeners, and you could be the next one. SubjectCinema.com Real movies for real people. We're back, and now we're going to be looking at the single most important aspect of any film, the exploding helicopter. At the end of the film, a Navy SEAL team are sent to terminate Bin Laden with some good old-fashioned extreme prejudice. As the mission involves surreptitiously sneaking into Pakistan, they're given a couple of prototype stealth helicopters. As they're about to start the raid, one of the helicopters gets caught in some sort of downdraft and crash lands. After killing the Big O, the special ops team now need to make their getaway, but before they make their evacuation, they plant explosives on the wrecked aircraft and then blow it up ben what did you make of the exploding helicopter action i was i was in two minds about this one well i think the build-up you know it, it's awesome how often do you get to see not only a stealth helicopter but like a real stealth helicopter out of area 51 like the actual area 51 <laughs> you know there's a lot going for this there's a lot of got my helicopter hormones going and <laughs> um, as, as as you know will since, since i've uh since i've been listening to your invaluable work you know i, I do see the um the chekhov's helicopter in every film and um they get out there they put on their their plastic explosives and they set it off and what's what's fantastic about this is even though it's like a super dark gritty film there's lots of very heavy themes and and lots of very heavy wigs um, they <laughs> They they go for like an eighties uh, an eighties feel kind of spliced with a kind of the gritty feel so you get like the the main explosion goes off then that sets off the fuel explosion which is like the really rich red flame and then you get like a multiple quick fire repeat shots of the explosion like a like an eighties action film and they have some really somber music and then the the camera just spends a lot of time paying a lot of attention to the burning carcasses of the stealth helicopter I liked it. Well, I liked it too. And as you said, I thought it had a lot going for it. You've got these 
two prototype helicopters. They're not just any type of helicopters, though. They are stealth helicopters. As you're saying, from Area 51, they've got some seriously cool kudos about them. The actual explosion is terrific. I really enjoyed the way that it was uh, uh, against the night sky. Fantastic, deep, uh, rich reds. Uh, I'm assuming it was CGI, but they, you know, it's really well done. Looks are terrific. Um, it was hard to tell. I could believe that was a real explosion. Yeah, it could have been good old-fashioned gasoline being blown up there. But uh, one thing uh, that I noticed uh, that I found a bit peculiar when they were planting the explosives on the helicopter is that uh, uh, the, the the kind of the, the soldier kind of climbing around the top of it ends up putting his foot through the outer shell of the uh, of the helicopter and it made me think well, you know, what on earth is this made of that uh, that it's so brittle that you can just put your foot through it but uh, I guess it just made it all the easy all the easier to blow up at the end which is uh, you know just the point of the film Will. that's the point of the that's the point of the film and for that we are eternally uh, grateful well, I think it's uh, time to terminate this uh, podcast with uh, extreme prejudice. So, Ben, thanks for joining me on this show. Do you want to take a moment anyway to tell people where they can find you online? Thanks, Will. Yes, you can find Top Film Tip at least on uh, at Twitter at Top Film Tip. And there will be tips every morning and every evening for all the best films on TV, some of which Will does not like. Go and give it a follow for some, you know, moderate quality films. <laughs> That's high praise indeed. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay, uh, just a few things from me. Don't forget, check out the Exploding Helicopter website. You can find us at explodinghelicopter.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a retweet. Shout out on Facebook. To help spread the word about what we do. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. May I join you? How is the food down here anyway? Uh, it's okay. How long have you worked for the CIA? 12 years. I was recruited out of high school. And you know why we did that? I don't think I can answer that question, sir. I don't think I'm allowed to answer. <laughs> All right. What else have you done for us besides Bin Laden? Nothing. I've done nothing else. Well, you certainly have a flair for it.